It's time to hold it on, hold it on, hold it on to you. It's time to hold it on, hold it on, hold it on to you. You're listening to the Noise Cancelling Pod, the podcast about streamlining life, encouraging discourse, and maximizing your mind. Hosted by Frank Boyce and Axel Clark. Hello, welcome everybody to episode 14 of the Noise Cancelling Pod. I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. We're, as always, glad that you've come back or come for the first time. Today we have Back by Popular Demand. Miriam Khan of ABC News. After the, the first interview, we kept getting people saying that was one of our favorite interviews or that was our favorite interview. So we just had to have her back on. We have some really exciting topics to talk about this week. Um, going back a few months, actually, and I think we'll, uh, we'll get some updates from her that I think all you guys will be interested in. So let's, uh, let's welcome Miriam back to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Hi guys, it's so good to be back. I can't believe this is the 14th episode. That's amazing. Was that episode 6 that we had you on last time? I think so, yeah. yeah. You guys come a long way. 14, wow. A yeah. lot. That's true. When you think about these shows that are like on 300 or 500, that that's a long way from here, Axel. That's, <laughs> that's a little true. Are you, are you up for that? <laughs> I, I can't commit to 300 or 500. <laughs> Yeah, we have we have no contractual obligation behind this. So uh, again, we're glad we're, that you're here, ma'am. Was there uh, one thing that really caught our attention? Um, was a tweet of yours? Maybe Axel wants to jump into that a little bit, but I think that was from last week, wasn't? Yeah. Well, I saw I saw that you you announced that you have Mongolian ancestry. <laughs> so did you do ancestry.com and then get the like DNA readout or whatever? No, but um. So my, my dad traveled back to Pakistan in February, which is where we're from. You know, my parents were both born in Pakistan, and he's just casually chatting with his brother, and his brother is like, oh, yeah, you know, I met some of our relatives a few weeks ago, and turns out we have Mongolian ancestors. And my dad just tells it to us super casually, and it just, it's like kind of, it blew our minds, but it sort of makes sense. Um so I, I'm I'm I've been meaning to do like an ancestry genetics test. That's next on my list. Yeah, I That's need to really look cool. into that. How much is that? Like a hundred bucks? Yeah, there's some companies that are a hundred. There's a couple others that are a little bit more expensive because they they like uh, review all your like health stats and stuff with you, which is a little scary, and that's kind of what puts me off from wanting to do it. But I also think it's something that's interesting. And it's super easy. They just do a saliva swab. Yeah. My uh, friend, my friends in San Antonio, uh, Will and Faux Frizzle did it, and it was cool to see all the different information they got. Frank, would you do that? Yeah, absolutely. I did just like charting back as far as you, you can find just the online one, and I thought that was pretty cool. I tracked my family back, I think, five generations back to uh, the Netherlands and Belgium. So I, that, I mean, just that aspect was really fun. But yeah, doing a DNA test and seeing how far back they can trace it would be amazing. Totally, yeah. That's. I mean, I think I definitely want to, you know, invest 
and send off my saliva to the lab. (laughs) (laughs) I think it'd be totally interesting because I also have a great-grandmother who is from Turkey, and we don't really know anything about her. My great-grandfather went to Turkey, and he, you know, fell in love with her and brought her back to what was then, like, India, because Pakistan and India were one, and I don't know, I just feel like... Yeah, that's interesting. So much interestingness happening everywhere, so let's see. Yeah, seriously. That'd be yeah. awesome. So in another eight episodes, maybe maybe you can <laughs> come back on and, and reveal your family's full heritage. That actually makes a lot of sense because the results typically take six to eight weeks. <laughs> we got to get on it then. You know, I actually, I will do this, and when I get my results back, we'll have a big reveal. All right. That. That's the deal. That's our first contractual obligation. <laughs> yeah. So one of the super interesting, um, do you call them cases? What do, what do you call when you're when you're just an assignment? I guess you'd say when you were on the, um, the it wasn't a serial trial. It was the uh, serial hearing, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There are different assignments. I'm a general assignment, you know, reporter. So every day is different. But I remember that. This hearing was coming up, and I went to my boss really excitedly a few weeks before it was slated to begin, and I said, we have to cover this. Like, send me to Baltimore. I'll drive up there and drive back every day, but I really want to cover it because I think it's, one, I'm really interested and invested, and two, I think it's people are really interested and invested, so I think a lot of people care about this story and want to hear about it, and with any, like, media company, we, you know, we care a lot about having eyeballs on our stories and clicks. So, um, I mean, it was so, so cool that I got to cover it. And I, I did go. It was a five-day hearing in Baltimore, Maryland. And I covered it for ABC News. And it was a really surreal experience. What was That's the result really of the hearing? So, I don't know if you guys ever listened to the first season of Serial, but um, Adnan Syed, he's been in prison for like the last almost... 20 years, um, and he was convicted of murdering his ex-girlfriend from high school, and because of this podcast, so many people were interested in the outcome and um, really thought that he had an unfair trial, and the podcast also did a lot of its own investigating and uncovered some serious flaws within his first trial in 2000, and um really raised awareness because his family and friends had also been fighting for his release. Um, and they claim that his, you know, lawyer from the first trial provided ineffective counsel. And uh, there was, the biggest issue is that there was an alibi witness and she was never interviewed, which is huge. And so because of some of these issues, they really thought that they had a fair shot at reopening his post-conviction hearing. And so they petitioned and the the court of special appeals in Maryland decided to, you know, reopen his post-conviction hearing that was previously, you know, his the the end result of that first conviction hearing was that it was denied. So they yeah. actually they reopened his post-conviction hearing so that they could add more evidence. And so um it took place over 5 days. And uh, really interesting and really cool because the first day there, we're all standing outside of the court, and here comes along Miss Sarah Koenig, you know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
who's she's like the original reporter and you know i mean obviously she's still a reporter and she still reports on the story she has season two out of serial but she's also kind of a celebrity you know she's she's part of the story she is famous and to see her kind of act so casually, and we were all, like, surrounding her, taking pictures and tweeting, it was just really very a meta moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so many interesting happen, interesting things happened during the course of the hearing, but it lasted five days, and at the end, the judge did not make a decision on whether or not he's going to grant Adnan Syed a new trial, uh, he said he wants to take his time to obviously review all the evidence. There's hundreds and hundreds of pages and, you know, testimony over five days. You can't just really make a decision. I mean, I can't speak for him, but obviously he wants to be fair. He wants to review everything and um, weigh both sides equally. So he says he will make a written decision sometime in the future, so that could be in a few weeks, a few months, it could take up to a year. Okay. So, um, that's still ongoing, and honestly, I think about it every single day, and I, anytime I get any email from the Court of Special Appeals, because, you know, they, they send out a lot of press releases, it really gets my heart jumping, like, oh my gosh, is the decision coming out today? But, unfortunately, nothing yet, but, you know. What, what's your take on whether he is owed in their trial? Well, I get asked that question a lot, and I try to remain objective as a journalist, but I definitely think there's some weird things that happen in the first trial. And as an objective person and reporter, I think that it's likely that he didn't get a fair enough trial, and I think that it's evident that there is a alibi witness that was never interviewed. And so... Um, I don't know. I, I think deep down he probably does deserve a new trial. You know, I, I can't really say anything about his innocence or not. That's like not a question I could answer because right. I, I, you know, I just I deliberate all the time. And I think it's not for me to say whether or not he is innocent. But I, I definitely think he does deserve a new trial. I think I can say that, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so the uh, the alibi, alibi witness was that was Asia McLean, right? Yes, Miss Asia McLean. And so she actually testified in, in the hearing, correct? Yep, she testified. She came, uh, she lives on the West Coast. She has a husband, she has kids. And, um, you know, I've actually spoken with her. We're, we're friends on Twitter, and I keep in touch with her from time to time. She actually just announced that she has a book coming out in June, and it's basically her side of the story, and people ask, her, you know, why are you talking about this? And she says it's because she just wants to do her part in telling the truth. She's not trying to have a non side or the state's side. She just wants to tell her story. And one thing that I remember from when I spoke with her right around the time the hearing, you know, wrapped, actually, some of our producers spoke with her. And, you know, I had, I listened to the full interview and she said that. She really wants her kids to know that she was courageous and brave and did the right thing, especially, you know, when it's difficult and you have people looking at you and judging you and making comments. You know, she kind of looked past that and decided that she had to do what she thought was right. And so she came to Baltimore and she stayed. I think her testimony lasted, what, like, around two days 
Um, and it was just so unbelievably compelling. You know, I mean, as a fan of Serial and listening to these people and these stories and their voices, and then to actually see them in person and realize, oh my gosh, this is a real story. These are real people. They're not just characters from a story. They're they're real people. Right. Like I think that's hard to think about because when you listen to it, it is kind of a story. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's. I mean, Sarah Koenig's voice is so unbelievably just. It sucks you in, and you almost forget that this is the real life story of what happened to this one kid who is now sitting in prison. Um, and so like that, that was just really surreal. And I think the most crazy, the most like the craziest thing that happened, I think was the first day of the hearing when Adnan walked into court. I mean, it was just absolutely silent and like everyone's heart, my heart was racing and you see this guy walk in and, you know, all we had ever seen of him is these pictures that are from when he's a 17-year-old kid, mm-hmm. like scrawny, skinny, like some facial hair, but nothing, you know, like just a regular, typical 17-year-old kid. And out walked this man, 34, 35 years old, um, probably six foot, six foot one, and just huge I mean, he was just so built, his neck was so thick, his forearms, his muscles, it was just so surreal. Um, And he had a full-grown beard, and he's wearing a Muslim prayer calf, a kufi. And, you know, like, he was just completely transformed, and you kind of forget that, you know, we're hearing this story of his from when he's 17 years old, but all these years have passed. He spent, I think more than half his life in prison now and you, you forget that he's grown up in prison so it was just really bizarre to see that kind of happen and he was in chains hmm. chains uh, and I, I think uh, after the hearing his lawyer Justin Brown spoke to the media and he revealed that he could have asked the judge if he could have removed his chains but Adnan didn't want to like interfere. He didn't want to cause a problem, so he left those chains on, so as to not, you know, be dramatic. And he sat there, really uncomfortable, like in in these chains with his arms kind of stuck at at his chest almost. And he sat like that for five days. Hmm. So crazy. so crazy, yeah. It was just really crazy. So yeah, we're still waiting for the um, decision from the judge. So we'll see what happens. Do you think that most fans think that he deserves another trial? Or do you think people like, so there's a lot of excitement over it, but is the excitement, uh, like, do you think there's people on the other side that think he does not deserve another trial? And are they excited or are they just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, everyone is really excited. Everyone's really interested. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of anxiety surrounding it. And it's really interesting because like 50% of people that I talk to about it Half believe he is innocent, 100% innocent. The other half totally believe he is guilty. And it's just like the amount of emotions people have when it comes to Adnan, it's just, I've never experienced anything like this before. I don't think there has been this much interest in a case like this ever. 
So I think um, people are really torn, and I think the decision either way is going to be really controversial. But again, I mean, you know, whatever the judge decides, it's not really vacating his con- or vacating. Uh, it's it's not vacating his conviction. He'll still have to be retried. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that had to be really crazy to be just transported from a story to just this experience that just comes out of nowhere. Like I, I can't think of very many times where I'm sure it felt like you were very out of place in that room. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And his family was sitting in the courtroom. Uh, every time he would walk into the court, he would look directly at them and kind of, you know, smile and gently give them a little wave. And I'd look over at his mom, who'd be sitting in the front row with her brother or with his brother, and they would smile back. And I mean, the the community outpouring of support. I mean, it was just really incredible to see. Um, Every single day, his side of the courtroom was always packed, always packed with lots of people from the Pakistani Muslim community, friends. Uh, so it was, you know, one of those things that it was just emotions ran high every single day. The other half, it was always media. There was tons of media there. And then the victim's family, Hey Lee, her family was also there. What's their family think? they think he did it? Oh, of course. I mean... They've been adamant. They they truly believe that he is guilty of of killing Hey Lee, and they don't want to see him. You know, they don't even want to see him get a new trial. So um, it was just really it was really hard and emotional to cover that aspect because mm-hmm. for them it's reopening old wounds, and they still have not publicly really talked about what happened. They they never talk to media. So for them, it's just like heartbreaking and it's something that they don't want to be even dealing with. So the, the, for them to see, um, and this was from a, a statement that the family released during the hearing, but for them to see so much outpouring of support for Adnan is really heartbreaking for them because they think, oh, look at this guy. He's so innocent. Give him a new trial. But the family thinks, you know, like he's the man who killed our daughter. Yeah. So it's tough. Yeah, that's a lot. A lot of emotion, a lot of things to process, especially as you're trying to kind of turn that into a story, right? Exactly. Absolutely. And and trying to remain objective and telling both sides of the story fairly. Really cool, though, though, is right after the hearing was over, ABC News got the exclusive with Asia McLean, and she spoke with us and sat down with us and talked about the hearing. And, you know, she basically said the same things that she said during the hearing and um and that is her side of the story so that was that was really cool to be a part of seeing this translate from being in the courtroom to actually being on good morning america so i think it was an important story to be a part of and i mean it was really exciting for me because i knew so many people also were huge fans of the podcast so did you do a like a story each day or did you roll it up into a single uh... Uh, yeah no I did stories each day I also did radio hits uh, and I was you know doing Twitter Instagram snapchat the interesting part about it is that you obviously can't bring your cell phones into the court and they're, they're really strict about that so we had a media room that was designated for reporters where we could go and tweet and, you know, do our stories with our computers and stuff. And so there were 
only two or three of us that would leave in the middle of the hearing to go race back to the media room and start tweeting about the, the hearing and what was going on. And I mean, I honestly think that was one of the biggest stories I've ever covered because I gained like 2000 new followers. And oh, like, really? Honestly, like it was insane the amount of retweets and people were so engaged and they were talking about the reporters on Reddit. So we were on Reddit. It was just like, it was wow. really, it was really crazy. The amount of, attention that was on this hearing seriously yeah yeah i mean probably one of the first i mean obviously if the oj simpson trial was going on right now the amount of <laughs> online activity would be huge but it, this is the first one that i can really think of that that has kind of secured the nation's attention very long term absolutely so one thing that axel put on the uh the script for today is he wanted to talk politics. Is that true, Axel? Uh, I want, yeah, I did put it on there. <laughs> I wrote it down there. So what, what did you want to talk about? I mean, do you, do you even know what's going on? <laughs> uh, I did five minutes of research and I saw that Trump is complaining because Colorado just said, forget it. We're not going to vote. We're just going to give all of our votes to Cruz. So that's the only information I have. <laughs> that's good you're lucky I, I think i think i still consider you very lucky to be completely unplugged on that miriam where where are don't, you at don't give in axel just don't even pay attention we'll call you on election day yeah okay uh well tomorrow is the new york primary so that's a big race that abc news is paying attention to and most of the media um so we're really busy, you know, actively going to try to cover that. I will actually be in Baltimore tomorrow, and I'm live streaming for our digital outlet. And um, the Maryland primary is next Tuesday, the 26th. So I'll be there tomorrow kind of uh, showing what or hopefully talking to people who are paying attention to the Maryland race and, you know, looking forward to that. So that's still a week out. And um I mean, I think New York is going to be a big day. It could literally go either way for either, you know, candidate. So I, I think it's going to be really interesting. Are you guys going to any watch parties? <laughs> is there, are there watch parties? For I what? Mean, yes. Oh. For, for the New York primary? I mean, any, any candidate, usually when there's a primary happening, uh, like the cities will host a, a watch party because people, a lot of college, you know, Democrats and Republicans who are really active in politics, they they go to these little coffee shops, pizza shops, sit around with their friends to actually watch the results come in. A lot of that happens in D.C. as well. I've actually never participated in a watch party, but um, we do cover them quite frequently because it's a good actually, way to like gotta, engage. You got to get on that, actually. Well, I might need to set one up. <laughs> <laughs> you have the, the disengaged watch party gonna, where you yeah, have no idea what's going like, on. This is a watch party and then it'll be on the wrong date. Or <laughs> yeah. Another really That's big issue in, uh, for Marylanders, uh, tomorrow is the one-year death anniversary of Freddie Gray. April 19, 2015 is when he passed away from his injuries sustained in the back of an ambulance. And so um, lots of emotions about that as well. 
I'm actually going to Baltimore to speak with some supporters of Freddie Gray and the Black Lives Matter movement, including DeRay McKesson, who is running for Baltimore City Mayor. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. I think it'll be really interesting because I know, obviously, police violence, brutality, racism, they're such huge, huge topics, uh, especially going into this election year. So I think Baltimore is the perfect city to talk to people about those issues. So when you're when you're kind of creating the dialogue with those civic leaders, what what kind of angle do you come from? Do you do you just go back and talk about the story itself and where Baltimore has come since then, or you know, kind of how do you process where they've come in the last year? I mean, tomorrow I'll be attending a um, community like meeting that's actually going to be held in a church. And so it kind of just speaks for itself. The community members will be talking amongst themselves. And as a reporter, you don't really want to interfere with that process. Mm -hmm. Um, It's all about listening and observing and hanging back. And then if I notice someone has said something rather um, interesting, uh, I'll later talk to them about that. But honestly, I've noticed as a reporter and as a journalist, I don't have to say much to, for people to talk. You know, it's literally mm-hmm. just asking them, hey, how do you feel about this? And they speak for themselves. And I think the least amount, like the less, the lesser I speak, the better. People, when there's silence, they just start talking. Yeah, Absolutely. Is that how we got started, Axel? It might have. We're <laughs> just waiting for the other person to go. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I don't think, or I hope that there won't be that much protesting. And if there is, I hope it's peaceful and that people are just really cognizant that they avoid what happened last year. But I do think that it's really important to speak out, especially for something that's, you know, so important, I guess. So I, yeah, I think absolutely. we'll see how that turns out. So uh, did you, not to put you on the spot, but did you get a chance to listen to our Passion, Passion Projects podcast? That's hard to I, say. No, I did not. I've been meaning to go back and listen to it. So Axel, why don't you give her a 30-second rundown um, just so we can continue this conversation on you know where we went with passions. So we we talked about just the constant falling of your passion in life and at least for me i think that it's a little bit dangerous to say if i could only find my passion and that passion is just one word and if you could just find that passion then then your life would be great and that would solve everything i think that it's rarely that simple so i think there's a little bit of a danger of just searching for a passion to think that it's going to solve but i think finding the things that you like to do and figuring out uh what lifestyle you like so not a specific passion but just how you want to live your life i think that's important and that that can be beneficial so that's that was the what i came out of the at the end of the discussion yeah and i thought it was really good i actually passed it on to a buddy of mine bob from boston who listens to the podcast so shout out to bob we were talking about our careers a little bit and i said you know i thought what axel said on you know, finding your passion, but not necessarily making that your career was was really, really good advice. So we wanted to talk to you about your current passion projects, if you have time for those, or, you know, if it's maybe backburner, what are you passionate about on the side? That's a tough question. Because um, like, it's kind of contrary to what you just said, that like, your passion doesn't have to be your career. 
But I think in that same breath, like a bunch of my little baby passions have come together and let me do what I'm doing, if that makes sense. Like I love talking to people and listening to people and sharing their stories. And I get to do that in my role as a journalist, as a reporter. Um, so I think that that's like, you know, part of my passion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh, makes total sense. Yeah. Do you, so one thing I'm, we t- so mm-hmm. one thing we talked about was that let's say you like cooking and someone's like, well, you should follow your passion and start a restaurant. But then it's, but then once you start this restaurant, you realize that you're not doing any cooking. You're just managing people. So mm. do you think there's? It sounds like what you're doing right now as a reporter is the thing you like. What you love to do and enjoy doing. What about? Like, let's say you went higher up in management, would that be less interesting to you? Or have you thought about, like, mo- moving on in your career? Do you think you could almost, like, promote out of doing these things that you love? Well, yeah, I think being a manager right now and being in charge of other people and kind of, you know, not reporting as much. I don't think I'm ready for that at this point in my career because I do enjoy being out in the field. I do enjoy not being at my desk and I don't like having the responsibility right now of being in charge of others when I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. Yeah. You know, I definitely think eventually one day, yeah. And I I also think that like my career is training me for that kind of a role because one of the things that I do love doing is mentoring young people and people that are going through college and grad school and, you know, who are looking for advice and how can I do this and how do I get this internship and how do I send this email? Like, I love talking to people about that kind of stuff. And, um, like, any of my friends who aren't even in journalism but they're, you know, working on a college application and they're like, hey, do you mind reading my essay? I love reading their stuff and, like, helping fix things for them, fixing their grammar or, or things like that, you know? So... I definitely think one day I would be suited for a management role, but it's hard. Like, you're right, because you do kind of lose that passion that you you have. Like, for instance, I like to be out in the field reporting and producing and gathering news and talking to people. If I'm managing someone else's schedule, that might be a little bit difficult to do. But I think it's like a natural progression. I think that I think it's cool that you mentioned mentoring, like mentorship and and helping new people figure those things out because to me like that is the fun part of management so mm-hmm. like if you're just gonna sit there and to me sitting there and ordering people around and building schedules that's not very fun but trying to yeah. develop people and get them to be uh be better and improve i think that's fun totally and also because like i realized that like maybe i didn't have someone to help me out as much as you know, I wished or wanted to, I was kind of figuring it out on my own as well. Like when I started to apply for grad school, I kind of just did it on a whim. But, you know, most recently I helped a, like a Buckeye who's graduating this year from Ohio State who expressed his interest. And literally for the last year, we've been talking and emailing and texting weekly through this process. And I, I genuinely feel like self-fulfillment in that because you know, finding out what you want to do and like the career and path that you want to go down is difficult. And as someone who went through it, through it, being able to tell someone else my experience, I think makes it easier for someone else 
at the same time, I know that not everyone's experience is going to be the exact same, but anything that I can do to just kind of provide further insight, I think really helps. And so, you know, like he went through that whole application process at Northwestern and, um, you know, uh, taking the GRE and recommendations and like, what's the program going to be like? And, and what can I expect when I start school? And, you know, I help work him through that and he got accepted and he's starting at Northwestern this oh, fall. That's awesome. so. It was really, it was really cool to see that happen. Probably my favorite part of the last podcast was at the end when we asked you what you would tell, uh, like a young person looking to do journalism. Your answer was incredible. Okay. Yeah, I've gone back and listened to it multiple times, and I'm still, I'm, I'm inspired anew every time. So, spe- <laughs> hey, so speaking of mentorship and giving feedback, uh, we have you seen the Global Crier, Frank's new project? I did have a chance to catch an episode. How wonderful is that? <laughs> That's great. So what? Uh, so we did we listen? We listened to episode one last time, right? On yeah, the, we did. On the preview. Yeah. And so episode two is out. What like? What's the? What do you think about it? What's the? What's your feedback to Frank on this thing? I, I thought it was like super fast paced, super energetic, which is what you need to be. And like, if you ever listen to like a radio news bra- uh, news broadcast, and at the top of every hour or, or half hour, they do a quick rundown of all like the latest news events. I really felt like you had that urgency, which is like the number one thing to attract viewers and listeners. And the information that you talked about was like so good and it was like kind of funny too and like you you really like brought your personality to it and i thought it was really really well put together well written so kudos to you oh well thank you thank you oh, but cool. as yeah as always i'm looking for negative feedback so if you, <laughs> if you had to give one critique of the episode that you listened to what would you say what was your well what was your what was your um like why why'd you do it uh, well, I put a I put an ad on this podcast that was it wasn't like a joke, but it was just kind of like a general idea. And at the end of the ad, I put a date on when I was starting, and uh, I got to the day before that date, and I said, "Oh, maybe I should just make this podcast anyway." So I sat down and wrote the script and uh, recorded it, put it up there. So that's yeah. where we're at with that one. And you've uh, only you're at episode two. Yeah, I'm going to record episode three tonight. What's the um, meaning behind global crier? Well, it's it's kind of back to you know the historical news orator of the town square, the town crier, where they would you know kind of proclaim the news for the town folk to get the most updated information. So just taking that to our current era of technology and globalization, and and being somewhat of that mouthpiece for the world, I guess. No, I thought it was really incredible. Do you see yourself going into a more satirical like view of things or do you like to keep things more newsy and objective? I you know, I I like both, honestly. I I love satire. I think, you know, it it is very enlightening if if you can bring it in a, a less biased way where it really does create some sort of a conversation from it to, to point out the flaws in either a system or a story or the way that people may have been viewing an event. Um, but I also think there's so little um, true, n- not necessarily news sources, but you know, it's hard to really get to that pure reporting anymore. And I know that's a focus of yours big time. 
Um, but you really have to go searching a lot of times as, as so many stories, you know, like are embedded ads or just come from uh, a different source that's being misquoted or misused. So I, I think I, I, I like both aspects. So I'm completely waffling my answer on that question. Um, but for the global cry itself, I, I think it'll probably point um, back and forth. It'll just keep flip-flopping. Some weeks will be very satirical. Some weeks, like this week, is going to be much more serious and, and to the point. How many episodes are you committed to, to, uh, to do? Uh, I think I'm going to do 10 and, and just see if there's any legs to the form. Because, I mean, a, a short format podcast is, is pretty antithetic to podcasts in general. Like, I don't think a lot of people are going on to, to get a 90-second podcast. So I, I don't know if there's actually any validity to the, to the format yeah, at that's all. Yeah, that's my one piece of constructive criticism is that it's short. You could go longer. Like, I wanted to hear more, you know? So I think that's a great thing. I think you had great urgency, good information, and it, it really, it made me want to listen to more. So oh. go longer. Interesting. That's, that's the first, that's the first <laughs> feedback in our podcast history to go longer. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. So I had one specific question. First of all, thank you very much for the positive feedback. And uh, as always, I appreciate the, the criticism because that's, that's how we get better. But I did have an interesting question. Would you rather take uh, micro retirement, so like six months off or a year off, multiple times during your career, or would you rather retire young? Oh, woof. Axel, right, so what's your answer? Yeah, I can't. I don't know. Well, so for the most part, being in the Air Force, I can't really take. Well, no, yeah, I can't really take six months off. So. Me neither. That's not really an option. Yeah, but although, you... but but I I I take that back. It is an option. There they have a program now where you could take one like you could take three years off in the Air Force. I'm interested by it. I haven't I haven't <laughs> seriously considered it, but it, it kind of intrigues me. I so... I'm but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I would come back recharged or if I would come back and think I now have let's say if you do it for three years i think think you owe at least six years after that so what if you just loved your three years and then you had six years to come back to <laughs> that's hard that's a hard life yeah i would i'd be kind of sad but you, i guess you gotta do something yeah for sure yeah i mean i think it's like after you leave school for the first time and come back to your to a master's or whatever graduate school you're going to go to like there's there's this period of time where you're like, I can't believe I'm back here. I can't believe I'm doing this to myself again. So I, I think, the, I think you'd, you'd naturally occur that. Yeah, exactly. I think so when I was in Qatar, I would say most of the time I take at the most a week or less. And uh, one second, my pot roast is done. I got to go <laughs> stop it. That's amazing. Talking about retirement over here, he's making a pot roast right yeah, now. Seriously. <laughs> Are he's you li- sure you're not on your three-year retirement right now? <laughs> he's living it up with some pot roast. I like that. <laughs> so, so go ahead and answer the question now. Wait, we can, as Axel prepares this fine, <laughs> fine feast over there. Yeah. Earlier today, he he told me that he was eating his roast 
beef. And I was like, wait, how did you make roast beef? And he's like, oh, I had a cast iron Dutch oven. Oh. And I said, who has those? <laughs> yeah, he's, you have he's, he's come a long way in his, his cooking since uh, since we started cooking steak together many, many years ago. That's true, Euro Rare. Wait, is that what we called it? Yeah, Euro Rare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't a thing. It is totally a thing. It's hard to find. So think of an answer, and I feel like right now I, I feel I don't know. I wouldn't call myself a workaholic, but I like to remain busy. And on the weekends, or if I ever have downtime, I kind of see myself being like, "Wait, I need to be doing something." I do like taking vacations, like every couple of months. I think that's like really good for mental health, spiritual health, just to like get away and you know, energize and step away from the mobile phones and computers and emails and the computer, all of that, you know, and I think those are really necessary and important. But I think like taking six months off a year is just not something that I could do in this line of work. It's not something that I would really want to do anyway, because I would just I'd find myself going a little stir crazy. Um, one thing about journalism that I've noticed is that there's really not a retirement age because I know people that are in the field in like their late 60s and 70s and they love it. They love what they do. Um, just one of those things that I think you have to decide when you're at that age. <laughs> when you've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you've had enough. Yeah. That's interesting. So I was going to say that I generally I find myself taking short vacations for like four days to a week, but then when I was in Qatar, I took a two week uh, I think it may have been just a little over two weeks, a two week break, and I'm sure if it was longer you could like step away from your job even more, but I somehow was able to completely step away and like I was kind of scared when I went back that I forgot everything like that I forgot how to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> forgot but, how to be in the air force so i but i loved like it, i was completely recharged when i returned and so i i think the two week to even more if it's possible i think those are pretty powerful in terms of recharging you if you are in a job that's kind of burning you out yeah i don't pace. think there's that much difference than you know when you're thinking about a mini retirement like after after three weeks or a month, you know, like you're probably reaching that same benefit, you know, like after, after three weeks, do you, I don't really know how much more of a benefit you're going to get from that break. Right. I think it just all depends on, can you completely detach and not worry about what's going on back where you're at? Because like with a week or less, you're still, you can't, if you go over two or three weeks, then you have to completely turn it over to someone else. And yeah. so then you are can disconnect, whereas for a week, it's like you're just kind of letting things go and hopping on, thinking about them, maybe like checking email. So um, let, me, let me map out my plan for the micro-retirement. I, I think the ideal state is to end your current job, have some sort of uh, intermediate transition job. So like, you know, if, if you can have some sort of a consultant role or something where you, you might have a project pop up during 
your three or six month or or something small, and then you can come back and you know you haven't necessarily lost anything in the job market because I think that's a big fear is like if I take six months off, like I may not, I may not be able to get a job. Like that's a legitimate concern, even if you have great experience. Like it's just. It's very, very competitive, and I think there's a, a certain amount of momentum, I'm sure, in your field, Marion, where you just wouldn't want to lose that momentum in your career trajectory. Yeah, that's totally a thing, especially when you're working a specific beat and you have sources. You step out for mm. even a couple of days and you're already kind of lost in the mix, especially when we're always fielding emails and on Twitter, and it's just really a crazy, crazy world. I was just home for four days last weekend, and it was really great to get away, but, you know, I found myself constantly checking my work phone, and then for two days, half of the time, I, I didn't check my work phone, and when I got back to the office on Monday, I was like, oh my God, I've missed so much. So much has happened, and I, I mean, I think it's particular to the field, too, because I do work in the news business, and information is like, at, in seconds, just constantly refreshing and renewing and the timeline is you know always just new information keeps coming so I, I think it's one of those things where you really mentally have to be strong and not really care and it's just it's tough it's tough so, to disengage so do you find kind of that constant flow of information that constant um, getting to the next thing does that does that recharge you or do you find like it's it's somewhat of a grind at, at different points no, it's it does like recharge me. I think it's like really this constant flow of information. I think it's a good thing. And I mean, news is always happening, and there's always stories to tell and stories to share. The Pulitzer Prizes came out today, and that's kind of testament to what I'm talking about because there's always something out there that's like really inspirational to read and to hear about that makes you want to do better journalism. So whenever I'm on Twitter, honestly, I, I read a bunch of other things that my journalist friends or people that I don't even know are writing, and it's like really just eye-opening how much news there is in the world. Um, but yeah, sometimes it can get a little draining, for sure, especially because I have like two work phones, and so or one 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 personal phone, one work phone, so all this technology and. The social media that we constantly have to do and keeping an eye on emails and ABC News in particular is a very email heavy culture and Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Periscope, Twitter, all of these apps are a good thing to a certain extent. Is, how's Snapchat going? When we talked to you last, you had rolled it out for ABC News. Well, I mean, it was already rolled out, but I really got to experience and work with it on um, State of the Union Day. Snapchat is still one of my favorite apps because I use it personally. For instance, tonight I made dinner and I Snapchatted it to all my friends. You know, it's just another way to stay in touch with friends. And it's just fun because you can do really funny Snapchats if you see something hilarious on the street or on the train. You're like, oh, my God, I have to share this. Uh, so it's really low key, no pressure. Does it post on a feed or do you send it directly to people? Both. So you can send it directly to people. It'll go to your friend. It'll last either from like four seconds to 10 seconds, depending on the setting you have. And then you can also add it to your personal story so that anytime someone clicks on your name, they can see all your Snapchats for 24 hours. Oh. Yeah. Huh. 
I thought you were totally up to date on Snapchat, Axel. I thought <laughs> no, that was your assignment. I, the last I failed. Time I failed around. on that assignment. I just re- I was just realized and <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. What, I don't know about Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people are really weary about it. I just got my boss on Snapchat, so you know, baby steps. That's right. Yeah. Maybe maybe you can Snapchat some of your your programming, Axel. I don't know. <laughs> if Miriam goes back to the passion projects, she will get all she all she wants to know about Axel's Axel's uh, programming. Is it a, officially an obsession? It's an obsession. Is I, it a good a good obsession or a bad? Well, obsession? Well, it's a problem because it's nice outside, but then I just want to sit here and work on my projects, <laughs> and so. But I did. I so I did make time to get outside the last two days over the weekend, do some reading. I sat up with my computer up on the roof, so <laughs> I I have to consciously think about making sure I have balance in my life. That's yeah, I mean, I've thing. go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying that's a really important thing. Everything in moderation. But, but the problem is, there's always something else new to to learn and I I think you know how we've talked before where I want to get to 80% competence mm-hmm. or somewhere about that and I it's like I have to keep going right now there's elements that I don't understand so I'm continuing to try to figure them out so we were I was asking you last time um, if there's an end state in mind do you feel like there's an end state or do you feel like it's just going to keep going and going. I don't have an exact end state, so I, I'm not sure. I, but I feel like I'm certain that the knowing how to do this is not going to be a waste. Like I'm sure that it will come in handy somehow later in my life. And when are you rolling out the app? I still haven't. I still haven't gotten to see the full app yet. So okay. So I have pretty much the functionality that I want. But so what I've been learning, trying to figure out now is, you, you need to establish tests for to make sure that your app works how you expect. That way, when you add new features to it, you don't break your app with the new features. Mm-hmm. But the first time I was doing it, I didn't know what I was doing, so I was just, I was just trying to hack to make it work, and I wasn't doing, and I didn't know how to test either. So now I have to go back, and I'm learning how to test, and I'm rebuilding the app with testing behind it so that I, as I add additional features, I don't break it. So it's Mar- probably Mar- gonna... completely lost. <laughs> what about your, what, tell us about this app of yours. You, you <clears throat> well, so we're in this fantasy league that is teams and individuals instead of like players. So in tennis, it would be an individual. And if they win the championship, then or they get in the top eight, you get a certain number of points. And so the league goes year-round. And my buddy is currently managing the league, just updating HTML on a bunch of on a bunch of different pages. And so what I'm trying to do is write the app. So, for example, there's two, so there's two divisions in the league, an A division and a B division. So when a team gets the championship, it should just update automatically both divisions. Whoever owns that team gets the, the points. And then the ranking is automatically re reordered instead of him having to actually like do all those calculations himself. 
So is that a thing when it's with like fantasy leagues and stuff where it doesn't usually calculate all of that for you? No, I'm basically just recreating a Yahoo fantasy football app, but it doesn't, the the rules that we have, there's not an existing application to do all that for us. Is this going to be a mobile app or online? It's online. So that's too far. That's like, that's the next step of that I, See, like, that's what I'm talking about, though. So once I get this thing built, <laughs> then some people, someone's going to say, hey, well, why does it, why is it, can't you work th- make this work on my phone? Why don't you build an app? And so then I'm going to be building this app. So that's the, that's why I, I, I don't see this exactly stopping because there's always more. You just made it worse, that's man. Like, that's a true passion project and it's something that you're always learning, you know? Yeah, right now it is a struggle. So I... <laughs> And struggling to figure these things out and then I get maybe three minutes of joy when I actually like t- at the end of an hour or so I figure it out and I get a little bit of joy and then it's just right back to me not understanding I don't th- it's been a long time since I haven't understood like I've continued to be in a position where I didn't exactly know what I was doing I had to figure it out and I ran into a lot of I was making errors and couldn't figure things out for this long so, so I kind of like it. So um, I forget where I was going to go. I, I think it's amazing that you've continued this so long. Oh, I know exactly where it's. Have you gotten or invested in any help? I know you went to that one meetup group, but do you have like a, a specific mentor? I don't. So I need to get an individual mentor, but there is this a meetup group in D.C. There's two of them. There's one on Saturday and there's one on every other two, well, two Tuesdays a month. Maybe it's only one Tuesday one Tuesday a month. So they provide me help and they also just hearing their conversations just helps me understand different terms and things. And so that's been a benefit. But I wouldn't say I have an individual mentor. I'm mainly learning from tutorials and then just different online learning websites. You gotta outsource that. If anyone listening could, would be Axel's uh, programming mentor, just, just yeah, hit him up shoot on me a Twitter. Note. Yeah. That's sometimes the best way to learn something is to just do it yourself, though, and, like, make those mistakes on your own and, right. like, teach yourself. That's That's got to be really exciting, and it's, it's like, almost like you're conquering something, so it must feel really good. Hopefully you can find a mentor who can kind of help you work out these kinks and save you more time, you know? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. I you for trying something that's, like, totally out of your, like, usual... Thing. you know that's like really exciting they say what is it if you practice something for 30 days you, you can become an expert at it or something like that well they say 10,000 hours to be world class so Axel's got to be what you got to you got to have at least a thousand hours in so at this far. Rate, yeah I hope not yeah yeah what's what's 20 hours times 90 days <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great. Honestly, I, I give you a hard time, but I think that's that's awesome when when some side project really captures your attention and it, it doesn't feel like work and it doesn't necessarily um, when you get into those moments of frustration, you find that you just want to push through because you want to learn because it's really fun. Like those those things are kind of rare as you get older. So I yeah. I, I just want to point out that I, I fully embrace and uh, I hope you continue to follow this passion. Well, yeah, we'll see. I'm with, I, I, it's about to get summer, so I need to make sure that I 
enjoy the outside weather and not just turn into a complete nerd. Yeah, you've been a hermit for quite some time, so I think you should start embracing the summer soon. Or you could embrace multitasking. You could get like a, a tricycle bike and uh, like an umbrella over the top <laughs> so you can get exercise and program at the same time. <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> you go to the gym, take your computer with you. I mean, the, the possibilities of multitasking are endless. <laughs> this is true. It has yet to be created. Don't don't give anyone out there any ideas of how to create ways to multitask. <laughs> so <laughs> last time we did really well and gave you some some space at the end to talk about you know what what you're most passionate about and. Although you said you didn't necessarily have any passion projects, it seems like career counseling um, is definitely one of your your side passions for sure. So, um, you know, when you wake up in the morning, what what really is your motivation, and what what keeps you you know just getting better at your job? And you know, from my perspective, just really uh, killing it this year so far, especially. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think what motivates me when I wake up every morning is like not knowing what I'm going to embrace every day. Uh, so like every day is really different. Some days I'm working, you know, on a serial hearing or I'm covering a cherry blossom parade or I'm working with the correspondent on another story or I'm, you know, in West Virginia, like I just, I feel like the opportunities are endless and I love not knowing what my day is going to become and where it's going to lead. And I feel like I learn something new every single day or almost every single day, which is what really keeps me going because, you know, being at a place where I'm not learning or growing is like not where I want to be. And, and yeah. Yeah. And not to put words in your mouth, I feel like you know, so often from an outsider's perspective, we want to focus on the situation or, you know, how out of place you felt. But I, I, I guess I would guess that most of the time it's the people that you meet that, that really impact your day and have much of a longer impression than, you know, like what was happening in Baltimore that day or, or what specific thing you were reporting on. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that assessment. It's like meeting new people. They all have different stories. They all come from different walks of life, you know, and just like getting to hear from them or talk to them and learning a little bit about their stories. That's what really keeps me going. And that's why it's so exciting to me, not just for journalism, but like for me personally, I love to like talk to people and learn more about them. And it just really makes you realize how big the world is and how much there is yet to learn and yet to know and it, it's a humbling thing too because it keeps you out of your own little mind and it helps you remember that there are other more important issues and I think that that's why like that's what helps me get out of bed every day is just realizing that there's so much so many other things out there that have yet to be discovered and learned and conquered so it's mm. exciting very exciting that's great. did you have any other questions Axel no I think, I think we're good. As always, Miriam, you are 
a fantastic guest that we're we're so happy to have back. Mark your calendars, everyone. Eight weeks. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be having some some important DNA results. So maybe we should have we can get some theme music and uh, do like Amari Povich. <laughs> yeah, I know someone's only going to hear the end of this and go, "What are they? What are they talking about? Eight weeks." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No, this is great because I, I needed the motivation to do this test because I was really just going to do it for my siblings and I because we were all talking about it over the weekend. And so now I'm actually going to do it because I really want to know and I think it'd be really fun to share it with you guys. So That's awesome. Excellent. Do you have any closing thoughts? No, I think what you guys are doing is amazing. This is the 14th episode, and I'm so honored to be a part of it. And I think you guys are doing a great job. And keep going. Well, thanks so much. Well, well, I'm I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Let's play more of the gold. Take you as a soldier.